Hey everyone, if you don't want to hear about the end of Hades Town, jump to 14 minutes and 47 seconds. And then we'll start talking about convergence. I don't get it. Hey everyone! Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performance in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I'm Paul. And I'm Fonda. And we saw some stuff we want to talk about. Yeah. What did we see, Fonda? Uh, well, I think uh, every, the buzz on everyone's mind in Edmonton right now is Hades Town. Yes, the uh, the Canadian premiere of the the musical uh, by Anais Mitchell uh, happening at the the Citadel Theater. Yeah. Uh, what else did we see before we dive into that? Well, I also saw the Good Women Dance Collective's annual showcase called Convergence. Uh, it consisted of two pieces. We're, we'll talk about that at the end, I think. How about? Sure. Um, I'm excited to talk about Town. And I know that you've had some experience with the music before. So do you want to talk a little bit about the genesis of what this show is? Sure, as as I understand it. Um, so Town was an album that uh, Anais Mitchell put out. Uh, a couple years ago now, and it toured as uh, as an album, as sort of just a, the the music of it. It came to the, I believe, the Arden. Uh, so it has passed through town before. Um, Bonnie Vare is on the original uh, album. Oh yeah. Uh, through the the genesis of a small a small musical scene, um, but so so the music has been around for a while, uh, and uh, and I guess caught caught the eyes of of Broadway and of theater, and sort of realized that. In this story, in, in Hades Town, being the myth of uh, Orpheus and Eurydice, the Greek myth, um, there's sort of like a theatrical arc to it and a narrative arc to it that uh, would translate well to a, a stage show in addition to just music, uh, which uh, which has now taken its form with uh, Hades Town coming here uh, en route to Broadway is the dream. Yeah. Um, that the Citadel has sort of managed to uh, convince uh, directors that maybe Edmonton is sort of a big enough house, so the Citadel's a big enough house uh, to do all the theatrical things and test out your work, but safe from the prying eyes of New York critics far <laughs> enough away on the continent. Instead, they just get us. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, yeah, so so we saw it on uh, on a preview. We saw the Wednesday preview of Town. And uh, what were your first impressions, Fonda? What did you notice uh, off the top as um, we went... Well, I, I'll say that we saw it on Wednesday. It's Sunday now, and I still have the music going through my head. It's sure. like the the songs, the the yeah, especially way down Hades Town, like that. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's still there, still still resonating. Um, also, really like the way that they did the uh, staging. There's not much for set other than a set of double revolves uh, that are built into the stage that go some revolve sometimes in the same direction, sometimes opposite mm-hmm. directions, like an eye that can spin the iris and the pupil in different ways yeah yeah and so um it so really creates a lot of beautiful um, movement with bodies when they're not the bodies don't necessarily need to be moving but you can be going through uh, what seems like a lot of landscape um in uh, in the way that the stage moves around the actors too um so thought that was just a really great way of illustrating the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, which is essentially like a trip down into hell and back out again. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you, you want to cover a lot of ground. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the theatrical elements were really um, uh, well well envisioned. Uh, obvious it's, uh, it's obvious that they, they're, they're sort of have big ambitions for this show that they're trying to execute as, uh, as flawlessly as they, as they can. Um, yeah, and the, the music, 
Yeah, Hades Town. The song is kind of the banger. Um, how would you describe the the style of of the music, or maybe even just the aesthetic of the show? Oh wow, um, I don't know that I'm the best person to answer that. Sure, <laughs> I feel like there is a lot of um, uh, you know the the fates were sort of like a set of the, you know these three amazing powerful female singers uh, reminded me a lot of the Supremes. Cool. Um, and then and then there were a lot of sort of uh, you know kind of bluesy. Um, I don't know, songs like the American South a bit? Yeah, there's sort of like a South or maybe like a, a New Orleans sort of vibe, yeah. but if, if seen through the eyes of Tom Waits is sort of the, the aesthetic it felt like. Yeah, yeah. And then Hades himself totally felt like Tom Jones a little bit. He had this like really deep sort of showy, you know. Tom Jones without uh, like the, the cheese. Yeah, like a, like I a, don't, yeah, I don't a mean serious like Tom cheese, Jones. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, this yeah. very mm. deep sort of baritone voice mm-hmm. um, that sort of, uh, you know, which makes sense for someone who who is the Lord of Hell yeah. for their mm-hmm. voice to, to equally reside in the ground um, was was great. And they were they were a very uh, strong performance i would say yeah really strong cast um hades and persephone just knocked it out of the park they mm-hmm. were uh, like and persephone what an amazing singer um yeah. and also also a mover is this as this podcast originally talked about uh dance sort of there's especially at the top when Hades or uh, persephone arrives uh in in town and sort of uh, whips everyone up in sort of the spring and we're all having a celebration and a drink and a dance really gets the party started as they say yeah there's this whole part where um, Persephone as she's returning to Hades because the reason that we all get spring summer winter fall of course is because Persephone spends half of her time on earth and half of her time in Hades and so when she goes back to Hades um, there's this really like kind of you know rockin dance number Amber Gray was the performer name and she just you know really really like these huge arm swings um that it was somewhere between like really um uh, like almost african based styles because it's really low in the knees like bent like kind of bent over and that sort of stuff but also then yeah uh, also very like sort of american south in the early 1900s like or 1920s probably sure like. but also just yeah her costume was just the best because she, she was in this bright green and everyone else is in all of these sort of like earth tones and neutrals and stuff and so she just she stood out like like a, a freaking emerald which was lovely it's <laughs> great like a freaking emerald yeah <laughs> um yeah were you um are you uh what is it let's let's start here maybe uh what is it about these Greek myths that sort of lend themselves to um, modern re-envisionings and being uh, executed in, in a song, in songs in an album and then in a theater stage? What makes them still not necessarily be relevant today? Because that's like a, a hackneyed question. But what is it about these narratives that sort of like seem to be affecting, um, even though we sort of a lot of uh, a lot of them, you, you know, fairly well at this point? Like, what is it that that makes them land today? Hmm. I think, I mean, when you're looking at classics, uh, you know, I'm I'm talking about classical antiquities. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The myths um, and stories like this are, are, were, you know, created to help people try and understand things and why things were the way they were. And so, I mean, Persephone in the explanation of like why we have spring and, 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 and winter, Mm -hmm. um, that like, that's part of her arc as a story. Um, I think that, 
things like Orpheus and Eurydice are are really they are classic love stories. Um, they're you know I mean I the only one I can think of right now again is Moulin Rouge, but it's the same you know uh, woman is reluctant to. Uh, pair with a man because he's not really, um, you know, he, he she doesn't know if he'll take care of her, mm-hmm. and so then goes to, um, you know, what is a, apparently the reliable male figure in the eighties, or at least you know someone who has a job and a place for her to stay. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, yeah, and and this it's sort of like mm-hmm. they're they're uh, young lovers in in this world that's very poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Orpheus, he can sing. He's working on a song. Oh, is, yeah. is, is his big thing, but he does. <laughs> doesn't have uh, much more than that. So when sort of the party's dying down and winter's coming and Hades shows up to to bring Persephone back to to the underworld, um, you know, Eurydice is is curious about what that looks like and, and mm-hmm. what that that world is and, and the support mm-hmm. and the security of that world. Yeah, because Persephone, she looks like she's well taken care of, you know. She seems she seems like she's doing okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and in that, yeah, then Eurydice follows her down. And um, it's, I think, what, to go back to your question about why the myths have staying power, mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's really that you can sort of t- take these basic stories and implant you know, them into any sort of stylistic era, mm. um, and they still make sense. Right. Um, and, yeah, so the way that this era was sort of um, placed on the stage, like the, the, the Hades was full of, you know, like workers, and it was mm-hmm. like people who were toiling. Um, and the, some of the dance with that was just great. The ensemble work um, with the workers in Hades just looked fantastic. Um, yeah, and I, I, I do think that, you know, we'll always, we're, we like telling stories that, re, that, um, that make you feel things. And this one sure does, especially at the end. Um, and here we're, is where we're going to mark our spoilers. Take a note of the time signature. <laughs> Which is? Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, spoiler alert for a Greek myth. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, after going down to, to Hades Town to uh, get uh, Eurydice back, um, Hades gives them a test uh, rather than just sort of um, to hold to save his own face, but without sort of being caught between being too hard or too soft as a as a leader. Um, says they can they have to walk this way back, and as long as uh, Orpheus is in the front and he does not look back mm-hmm. um, during this walk, uh, they can, they're free. They're free to return yeah. to the surface. So and, he has to trust that Eurydice is behind him the whole time, and and this is where the revolve turned out like really great because it's following them through this entire journey out of out of Hades and and the music when this part was so beautiful too just like it was a big choral moment um yeah yeah and it was and then and then it got super sad because <laughs> yeah, he does turn around he does mm-hmm. um you know in the sort of last possible moment they're almost out you know he looks back and all of these doubts he's been struggling with in this that are sort of in this song uh, are are realized as not true, but in in sort of doing that, he's lost everything. Yeah, and in the way that the staging works, the revolve pulls her away from him while she's standing oh, still. So sad. This is just beautiful moment. So sad. <laughs> um, yeah, and the other um, part, I think that it happened right after Orpheus sang his song to convince Hades to. Um, uh, to let Eurydice go, mm-hmm. but the one beautiful, a uh, really other beautiful song that I wanted to um, 
note was when the one where Persephone and Hades are dancing together. Mm, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. just like this kind of beautiful contrast with this sort of like old, comfortable love, um, as opposed to sort of Orpheus and Eurydice's kind of like angsty, tortured young. Sure, although <laughs> although it's interesting because like comfortable is an interesting word for it because Persephone and and Hades have a lot of tension. You know, mm-hmm. um, in the Greek myth, you know, Persephone was tricked into eating these pomegranate seeds, so she's sort of like unwillingly going to the underground and, and being there and coming back every every year. So it was an yeah, it was an interesting take on that dynamic and sort of giving this sense of like these people this isn't a young love. Mm-hmm. Is this even love? But it's you know, it's this connection they still have and they're not isn't totally just antagonistic. Yeah. There's something there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They do they they have they have a connection um and feelings in some way for each other. And it's not really because yeah, she you know, they she sort of beaks at him for a while during the show. Mm-hmm. Um but then this was that was just like a really nice moment to kind of be like, Oh, and there's this other kind of companionship that mm-hmm. is possible. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I feel like we'd be uh, remiss not to mention uh, the character of Hermes, who's sort of this oh, narrator who's yeah. sort of going through this and connecting with the audience and tells us we're going to see this story that's a tragedy. And, um, you know, dramaturgically is a very nice, like, uh, way of getting from song to song and from moment to moment in a way that's super clear so then the art and the song and the musics and the style can land without being like, wait, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And without worrying about too much exposition from within the scene, we have this narrator character who's actually telling us uh, these things, who is a beautiful singer and, and performer uh, onto his, himself. Yeah, a great performer. His name is Kingsley Legs. Um, as, if I can say that is like the best stage, <laughs> the stage name like ever. I don't know. It, Maybe yeah. real. Could be his like, total like, name he was born with, but Kingsley mm-hmm. Legs, like, yeah, super great performer. Yeah, yeah. So, so a, a pretty, a pretty dynamic musical. Um, a pretty dynamic musical. I'd say maybe for for me, if there was sort of a weak point, it was our uh, our our Orpheus. He he just didn't seem to have that same like uh, gravitas that uh, yeah. a lot of the other uh, cast did. He's a little a little sort of. If I wanted to make a comparison, sort of like in like you know, kind of grungy Skeet Ulrichy. Um And that's also because of the kind of role that he was playing too, of course, this sort of kind of like, you know, crush that everyone is supposed to have apparently. Right, this um. sort of like <laughs> rocker, you know, yeah. he's working on a song. Yeah, I mean his song, in the second half, I think his song was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, t- it took a little while to warm up to the character, I think. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and Eurydice, I felt like she was, she was sprightly and um, enjoyable, lovely, great singer, really a really amazing singer. TV Carpio was her name too. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was Hades Town. We could talk about this show for hours, I think. Yeah. But yeah. In any case, we should talk about some dance, I guess. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um. So you saw a uh, convergence. Yes. Um, so so it was a double bill, as it often is. It's often the good women and and a guest. So who who was here this year? What did we see? Yeah. So the guest artists this year um, were here with a piece called Residue. It was created and directed by Megan Michalski and Matthew Hall. Hopefully, I'm getting Michalski right. Sorry, Megan, if if that's not. Um, and the performers in the piece, it was a, a duo, um, Brenna here and Cassandra Bowerman. Uh, Loved watching these two performers. Uh, They had a really interesting um, quality um, individually, but also working together. Um, The piece is about um, how the mind sort of... uh, cycles and repeats on on thoughts um i felt this so it was backdropped by um some video work um which was mostly the dancers own faces 
Um, So super expressive, a little bit aggressive to have faces blown up that big, especially when they are making some pretty um, drastic expressions. Oh, interesting. Um, So a little bit distracting to have that happening at the same time as the dance, um, but at the same time did lend to that feeling, which uh, which I think they were trying to emphasize, of anxiety and of your thoughts, like not really being able to control your thought when you're having, you know, like a frustrating moment or a, a, a frightened moment. Sure. How do you find um, when dance is exploring something that, like a secular idea, something that's sort of looping and, and repeating, uh, how does that sort of, uh, how does exploring that with the body and movement um, uh, highlight that idea or show something about that idea. Um, so between the two performers, they had um, they had moments where they would sort of come together, mirror each other slightly, come, and then uh, break apart again. And then they would do another similar thing, but it was just like one degree different. So you can see that there's sort of um, not only is there um, repetitiveness, but there's also kind of like an adding or a growth um, to it. So then it allowed that allowed some sort of arc to the piece. What um, what I really enjoyed was um, there's the two performers are fairly separate throughout the um, throughout the piece, even though they're in the same areas of the stage. They're not acknowledging each other a lot. OK, um, but there's a moment quite close to the end of the performance where they finally seem to catch each other's attention. Um, and this is when they actually start moving together in sync. And I, what the most enjoyable part of the dance, at least for me visually, um, was seeing the way that they um, kind of came together. They both have very different movement styles, but they were doing the same sort of movement uh, really kind of finally felt like there's they were able to kind of like cope or they were able to grasp what um, what you know the mind was kind of like running away with so much earlier in the performance um, and yeah ended uh, there was a lot of like hair throwing around they both have very long straight hair a lot of hair in the face okay. um, <laughs> uh, but yeah and then in that way um, the very the final uh, image of the piece is the two performers sort of standing, you know, fairly downstage. Their arms are outstretched, like they're kind of giving an invisible bear hug to something in mm-hmm. front of them. And it just felt like they had, there's this sort of like a bit of a comeuppance. They're like, okay, got it. And the lights just blinked off and that was, that was it. So, um, yeah, I felt that the the overall arc to the piece was, was interesting. Um, it did it did really um, effectively convey that feeling of anxiety, um, especially like that those sort of ruminating thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and ended on that uh, nice image. I thought, yeah, it was very nice. I'd really like to see um, more of the performers um, and the choreographer as well. I the um, one movement uh, thing that I can really kind of remember is that there was a lot of. They weren't cartwheels. They're not barrel rolls. They're sort of like a pinwheel roll on the floor. It's okay. like half, half crawling, half. Um, a lot of those, like over and over and over again. So there's another part of this kind of like literally cyclical or rounding movement that um, keeps kind of like coming back. So rolling, 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 rolling around. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the second piece was uh, Kate Stashko uh, of the Good Women. Um, Kate Stashko and um, with sound design by Sean Pinchbeck. Mm. Um, and so there were four performers in the piece, Stashko, Alita Kendall, um, and Catherine Semchek. 
Um, sorry, there were three performers in the piece, okay. not four. Yeah. The I, I, fourth was the you, fourth, the audience. <laughs> the fourth was me. No, the fourth really was Sean Pinchbeck because he mm. was on stage with them. Um, and he's doing the sound design um, as as it's happening. Um, Kate's work is great because she she's one of the she's an improviser that really likes to build I think okay um and so in the first part of the piece uh, you know you'd have one dancer doing a signature in the corner and then all of the other dancers sort of like glom on to that do something similar and then one breaks off and they all start you know um flocking toward what she's doing the new person yeah 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 so um that was kind of that's what the first part felt like the piece is called how long can we do this for okay which I feel is sort of an interesting question that you know goes around the arts community in general anyway <laughs> um, mm. but that's not really what it was about it was um, more about the um, uh, insatiability and insatiability um, in the performance notes here it says in the context of the body and in the context of society so as we're you know going through our daily lives we're you know like we're thinking about things that like give us pleasure and and you know like things like Facebook and blah 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 right um, these little these little buttons we press to yeah, give that little like, yeah. dopamine mm-hmm. uh, hit. Yeah, and and there was another uh, at the end of the piece. They they do a full on costume change that, that kind of felt like it was talking about consumption and um, you know consumerism. Um, also felt like it was trying to take a stab at hipsters, but they weren't really hipster clothing. And but yeah, it was um, it was an interesting. Uh, interesting um visual choice to make because I felt like they were um in the beginning they were all in sort of just kind of like you know like uh rock tank tops like like old old rock tops yeah old rock tops (laughs) uh or like vintage you know vintage beaters with band names on them uh and then they changed into this like super kind of feminine um really materialistic looking um like Kate was wearing a little fur jacket Mm -hmm. um yeah, so so that was kind of interesting. Overall, it was just a really fun piece to watch um, because of the you know the ideas are getting like punched on and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, what was uh, having uh, Sean Pinchbeck, the the sound designer, on stage? Uh, what was the sound design like, and what do you think was uh, uh, behind that choice of having him sort of visually uh, on stage as well as the dancers? So Sean Pinchbeck is an electroacoustic composer, so mm-hmm. a lot of the sounds were pretty abstract um, and. Yeah, I think that ha- the effect of having him there is that he can see them right. um, and he can respond to what they're doing. And I do think that it helps the da- the performers on stage um, just kind of get more of a connection to him, even if they're not um, directly responding to what he's doing, sure. if they're just sort of like kind of like on their own role. Um, there's, there's still more of an awareness that he's there. Um, and yeah, for me, I... I'm, I don't know that I would be able to point out anything really specific in the sound design. Uh, Did it have a particular tone? Did it sort of set a set a mood for what was happening? Yeah, I I think in the end it felt it felt really playful. Um, yeah. Like, I, but there was yeah, there and youthful in certain times. I don't know. I'm not I, I, <laughs> I'm not super good at describing really abstract sound. I guess. Okay. <laughs> um, but it wasn't um, like it wasn't you know sort of like drony or sad or anything. It mm-hmm. was all just sort of it, it really did punctuate what was happening on ah. stage. Um, and I felt like yeah, I was definitely more in tune with uh, visually what was happening. Um, so in that way, I guess the sound was. Is almost a little bit sparse. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. 
Um, great. And yeah. and to connect these two shows, uh, another of the the good women, uh, Ainsley Hilliard, was an assistant choreographer on Hades Town. Yeah. Uh, while it was working here and and being workshopped at the Citadel. Mm-hmm. She she did make a note to me when I did see her at the Convergence performance. She said, "Did what show did you see of Hades Town?" And we I said, "Well, we went on Wednesday, and that was Friday that mm-hmm. I saw her." And she said, "Oh, it was a completely different show." <laughs> so Work- fair. So fair warning. <laughs> workshopping. Workshopping. Yeah. Um, um, it's all before whatever happens before opening night <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah great well that was uh that was our week in in performance in edmonton yeah it was a great time um i think the next the next major things that are coming up of course not cracker season is is nigh um mm-hmm. and then we have um family dinner mile zero dance is doing family dinner uh on the first and uh, November 30th and December 1st. And then that following weekend, December 2nd and 3rd, is when the lexicon from Family Dinner will be performed. Right, right. The things gleaned from said Family Dinner will be turned into the, the show onto themselves. Yeah. So um, excited to see how that turns out. Great. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. I Don't Get It is produced by Paul Blinoff, Fonda Mithrush, and Andrew Paul. It was recorded at the Edmonton Community Foundation in beautiful Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Our website is idontgetityeg.com. Our Twitter is at idontgetityeg. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes and support us through Patreon. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Check out more of Ghibli's music at ghibli.bandcamp.com. Sit here, thank you.